You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Madonna with Like a Prayer here in 1989. I'm your host, Tracy Trace. I'm back with another top 10 films of one of the years of the 80s. With me, as always, the other producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Enough with that, because Casey Casey. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. But we're back. That's right. Two weeks in a row after a year and some change of silence, because we're not going to let you down, at least for a while. (laughs) Until <laughs> something happens. But anyway, of course, we're back. This episode, top 10. My around, This has been a long-going series on the podcast where it's been my personal top 10 films of each year going through the 80s. And we're rounding it out, ending the decade with 1989. And so, you know what? Why waste time? Let's get right into it because there's a lot to cover. Uh, last decade of the uh, – last decade – Last year, the 80s. So uh, in terms of, again, just, uh, you know, it's been a while uh, since I've done one of these. And also it's been a while since we've, you know, came back to the podcast. But, uh, you know, we do a top 10. We also do, you know, honorable mentions, worst films, the Academy Awards, the Grammys, all that kind of fun stuff. But as usual, how we do this series within our podcast series, so to speak. Number 10, it's a cool, well, depending on where you're living, where I'm living, it'd be a cool July night. Where Jesse is and where I used to live, it'd probably be a muggy possibly rainy july night yeah and or if you're on the other side of the world the sound, it could be cold that's true <laughs> so it could be anything but, yes. yeah it could be anything yeah you know so uh, i'm not going to stereotype the environment that you know <laughs> that what july would be for you wherever you're at in your part of the world but you would be rocking out to actually one of my wife's favorite songs toy soldiers by martika uh you know toy soldiers which i think eminem sampled for a song uh, a decade ago mm. <laughs> i think it's been a while, but you'll be going to see my 10th favorite movie of the year, starring the amazing Thomas Hanks and a dog, Turner and Hooch, number 10. It's a movie that uh, I'm pretty sure we, I think we covered it on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I mean, 200 plus episodes, you kind of forget sometimes, you know? Uh, but it's that's a movie that I remember distinctly, like just loving, still love it. Still brings tears to my eyes at the end, because and Craig T. Nelson, Despite how cool he is in Poltergeist and how great he was on Coach, the fact, spoiler alert for an 80s movie, that he shoots Hooch is unforgivable. Mm. I mean, as a matter of fact, what was it, WrestleMania 30, when we were walking down after, uh, to the Superdome, Jesse, we passed them on the <laughs> oh, way. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it was like, you know, it's like, oh. First, I was like, oh, man, I should have said hello to Craig T. Nelson. Then I remembered Hooch and was like, nah, I'd probably no. get arrested for assaulting him in the street of New Orleans. <laughs> and he was... He was a big. He would kick my ass. You know, he was a like. I, you know, when we look, you know, you do that kind of double take. I was like, God, he's, he's bigger than I thought. You know. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but nevertheless, he's a, he's a great actor. But I can I will never be able to forgive him cinematically for killing Hooch. But yeah, Turning Hooch, great movie and a great showcase of Tom Hanks. I'd say, especially in the '80s, because you know he was still a comedic actor in the '80s. It wasn't until early '90s with Philadelphia where he made that full 
transition to dramatic actor. Uh, so it's a good, you know, comedy slash drama where he's, you know, he's a cop. He's a neat freak cop and has to deal with this slobbering dog. And I and having a kid, I feel for this dude because <laughs> it's just it's the same thing. Your kid comes in, you have all this nice stuff and it always gets messed up and all that. So, but wow. yeah, Turner and Hooch is my numero tenno that was for an, 1989. That was a costume idea that Melissa had taken from Bob's Burgers. Uh, one of the characters dresses as Turner and Hooch. Half of his body is Turner, and the other half is Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Moving on up, number nine, it'd be a, well, again, depending on where you are, it'll be whatever your environment is in March. So this is a surprise one that I forgot to tell you about. Oh. Um, that it's called The Living Years. We went over oh, the by, song, uh, I forgot about that. Uh, Mike and the Mechanics. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a great song, actually. It's like kind of like a one-hit wonder. But if you ever see any like top ten lists for like 80s ballads or like, you know, good, like emotional songs or make you cry songs, this will pop up a lot. Yeah. It's actually the only song I know by Mike and the Mechanics. <laughs> okay, good. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm a... I don't even I don't even remember. I mean, this, this is a song that's been in movies and stuff, you know, that you might have heard in passing. But I was watching. I hate to plug them, you know, on our podcast, but you know, watch Mojo on YouTube. <laughs> Excuse me, with like you know, that's best fine. '80s songs you you know you you sure. might have forgotten. And uh, this was one of it appears on a lot of their lists, but it's a good song. Uh, so you'd be rocking out to Mike and the Mechanics with the Living Years, mm-hmm. but you'd be going to see the uh, one of the best high school movies. Well, maybe that might be a little uh, controversial opinion, but Heathers, since they, you know, kind of blow up a school and high schoolers are getting murdered. <laughs> so that's not exactly, you know, hot topics. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there uh, to talk about. But yeah, Heathers, still a great, it's still a fun movie. Uh, and I say fun uh, in terms of, you know, it's a dark comedy. It's a, you know, so it's fun might be the wrong word to use to describe it, but it's still a, it's still great it's the it's the antith- antithesis of John Hughes movies for the most part, which were you know saturated in the eighties, uh, everywhere practically. Uh, not talking shit about John Hughes, but just given the contrasting uh, world of Heather's as opposed to The Breakfast Club. So, but yeah, I mean Christian Slater doing his best Jack Nicholson, Winona Ryder looking gorgeous, Shannon Doherty looking gorgeous. Uh, all the you know surrealness of the film still great still holds up i mean there's a musical on broadway now or there was you know so heathers is still pretty or there's a tv show there was something we talked about it when we covered it mm-hmm. uh but and then number eight we're going from high school to deep deep underwater august 9th 1989 we were rocking out to another one that got by us but i know you know this song Oh, yeah. Prince with Bat Dance. So uh, <laughs> that also might give you a little hint of a movie that might be coming up higher on the list. But yeah, of course, uh, Batman did come out in 1989, one of the biggest movies of 1989, and a fantastic film to help close out the decade with one of the best, still, in my opinion, superhero films ever made. But of course, Prince did all the music uh, for the movie, and the accompanying videos were... Uh, Definitely Prince. <laughs> Put it to you that way. <laughs> you know, classic Prince, 80s Prince. Not talking shit about them. Great videos, but, you know, these are 80s vintage Prince videos. They were great. You got Batman dancers. You got Joker dancers. <laughs> Prince is half Batman, half Joker at one point, if I remember correctly. 
Oh, it's just like uh, Turner and Hooch costume. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, you know, but the rocket, there it is. There he is on the video, yeah. half and half. Uh, it's like that movie within a movie in, uh, what's well, oh, it's three. That was adaptation where it's like, I wrote a script, the three. They're all the same person. Spoiler alert for adaptation for uh, 90s or early 2000s revisited whenever we get to that. Whichever decade that was in, I don't remember. <laughs> but anyway, my number eight film of 1989, James Cameron, or Jim Cameron, as you know, those of us who study film call him. I can't even pretend to be pretentious about that. But uh, The Abyss. Of course, you remember we had our three film series where we went deep, as was, I thought, a clever tagline for what we were doing about mm. the, the three underwater movies that were released within a couple of months of each other in 1989. Abyss being one of them and being the best because it's on this top 10 list uh i would definitely if you if it's like oh i haven't seen the abyss in forever make sure you watch the director's cut don't watch the theatrical director's cut in my opinion way better much more uh backstory for the aliens gives you know typical james cameron fashion you know if there's if there's two versions of one of his films you usually want to watch the one that has a longer runtime uh if you have that luxury to watch you know a three hour or two-hour, 45-minute version instead of a two-hour, 10-minute version. That's the one you're going to want to go with. But uh, my cinematic dad, Ed Harris, is great in it. One of his, <laughs> you know, he just he's so personable and just so blue-collar in this movie. Dealing with his lovely ex-wife, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, made Marion from the 90s Robin Hood, looking gorgeous. Uh, and uh, the effects at the time are great. All the In typical James Cameron fashion, the supporting cast is well-rounded out, well-written. Michael Bean is incredibly villainous. Uh, so if you haven't seen it or you forgot about it, revisit it, but do the director's cut. Hmm. So number seven, lucky number seven. Uh, this will be another early uh, summer summer movie, June 2nd, 1989. And we'd be rocking out on the way to the theater to my girl and forever your girl, the lovely Miss Paula Abdul. Uh, now, I, 88, 89, when she was out and she was big, it was pretty much on my wall. I, uh, well, at the same time, you know, this was... The pop scene in the late 80s was pretty much, uh, for me, in my memory, all the boys loved Paul Abdul and Janet Jackson, and all the girls loved Paul Abdul and Janet Jackson, but they had new kids on the block. And I distinctly remember in fourth grade, I think, which was 89 for me, it might have been 88, but I remember uh, some girl had like a Teen Beat magazine or whatever it was, and on one side, they had the, you know, they had poster pinups, whatever they call them back then, I think it was pinups. You know, and they had posters, which was just a single page of a magazine with, like, their picture and their name. And then, uh, thankfully, I think uh, there was a picture of Paul Abdul. I'm like, let me, please, let me have that. Let me put, you know, I just want a picture of Paul Abdul because I was madly in love with Paul Abdul. But on the back of it was Jordan Knight of New Kids on the Block. So she wouldn't give it to me because Jordan was on the back <laughs> and she had to have it in her room. So, Bummer. but anyway, I eventually found some, you know, I never bought one of the team magazines. Happy to say. But I did, you know, con some females out of some, you know, pinups of Paula and Janet that were on my wall when I was a young nine, eight, nine-year-old in the 80s. Remember magazines. Forever Your Girl, though? <laughs> what are those? Yeah. But, you know, Forever Your Girl, not my favorite Paula Abdul song. That one might actually come up shortly, perhaps. But anyway, you'd be rocking out to Paula on the way to see Dead Poet Society, one of Robin Williams, if not honestly... It's really hard for me to pick his best performance because he really does have some, you know, 
in, in a non-comedic sort of way. I mean, he's, right. you know, uh, and he always has heart in a lot of his roles, like, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire, Hook, all that, you know, where he's being funny but still serious. But in terms of his dramatic roles, I mean, Goodwill Hunting's obviously way up there, but, I mean, Dead Poets Society was and still is iconic, uh, especially, you know, in, uh, again, not to sound pretentious, even though it totally does, but, like, when I was in college, it was brought up a lot. I mean, it deals with, you know, college and stuff like that and literature and all that and this the scene of him standing on the desk and oh captain my captain you know people still that that appears every now and then in pop culture because it's such a damn good movie which uh we also haven't covered on the podcast yet but it's been on the list for a very long time i was kind of waiting for robin Williams' birthday to kind of roll around to you know do a little tribute to him uh for that but yeah dead poet society number seven and looking at my list, it's the only, well, Heather's, I'd say, it's a dark comedy, but Dead Poets is probably the only actual true drama on this list to give you a little, uh, oh, we just missed it. Got to wait till, <laughs> is that his birthday or death day? On the uh, that's his birthday. Okay, we died July 21st, August just missed it. You could do it on his death day next week. <laughs> hey, I hate honoring people on their death day. I you know, know. I don't know. Well, you got you know, to wait a year then. I don't know. Maybe we'll do both. Who knows? He deserves it. <laughs> I mean, there's never not a reason to celebrate Robin Williams. I mean, that was like true. Like you know, people, you see a meme every now and then, or somebody posts something. What was the most shocking celebrity death? You know, David Bowie was pretty shocking because it just kind of came out of nowhere. Alan Rickman was shocking too, but I mean, like Robin Williams was just that was just really caught me off guard just because of you know just how you know it was just you know he killed you know it was suicide, which is never a joking mm-hmm. matter. And you know, like I think we talked before when it happened on the podcast, you know, it was. It reminds me of that uh, poem or story, like the clown Pagliacci, like man, go, you know, Rorschach quotes it in the comic book of Watchmen. I think he might do it in the movie too. But, you know, the guy goes to the doctor, says, I'm sad, I'm depressed. The doctor says, go see the great pal- clown Pagliacci. He'll cheer you up. And he's like, but doctor, I am Pagliacci. You know, it's kind of a tragic comparison yeah. to his story. You know, he's, you never know what somebody's dealing with behind the scenes when they're that, you know, personable and in person you know, not, not that i've met i had the person but like he's one of those i've never seen a bad story about him yeah and you're like and again i'm sure he wasn't nice to everybody because everybody's human don't get me wrong but i see that on the internet too like heartwarming story like robin williams went to this game store to buy some D pieces or some warhammer pieces and I'm hiding and he said no come out hang out let's talk and he stayed in the store for like an hour or something you know I, I, you always hear a lot of good stories about what a good person he was, which makes it even more sad. But uh, I think we, all, I think a lot of people saw that in uh, in his in his movies. Just that uh, I think that kind of transcended the screen, and then you know you just everybody. I think everybody just knew he was a good guy. Uh, you know that had unfortunately had demons that he had to deal with and all that. But you know every time I watch a Robin Williams movie, same thing with Alan Rickman, you know, and, and some other actors. Like I'm watching, and then like halfway through the movie, it's dead. And I'll never see a new movie with this person. I get sad for a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's tragic loss. But I mean, his work lives on forever. So quite a oeuvre of uh, films and comedy and TV and everything to go back. And, you know, whenever you're feeling down, he's definitely one of the ones that I, I turn to for like a laugh. Uh, so almost halfway there. Moving on up. Number six, July 22nd. So I imagine we might have a repeat here since we had a July 28 with Turner and Hooch. And we, was that one? Was that the one for July twenty eighth? You say? Uh, that was the first one. This one is July twenty second. For your, for oh. this one. Why is this not on my list? <laughs> um, 
Oh, I see July 21st, some reason on my thing. Um, which would have been here. But if it's... Yeah. The list you sent me says 21st. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what it is. Oh, Turner and Hooch was the 28th. Yeah. This yeah. one, number six, is 21st. So it's a simply red one? Yeah. Which I have no clue. <laughs> I don't remember it's this song. It's actually a remake of a um, Let's see. Written by Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Gamble? Recorded by Kenny Harold G Melvin and the G? Blue Notes. No, no, not that. <laughs> yes, it's Kenny G, technically. He's got the hair. <laughs> Except not this one. He, they, they didn't originate this song. Gotcha. This was originally released in 1972. And they just remade it. Pretty much sounds the same. Yeah, it doesn't sound bad, but I don't I don't remember this song. It sounds like a generic song that you see in like in a where the boy and girl get back together in an 80s movie. Mm, yeah. In a rom-com. Uh, so yeah, Simply Red, if you don't... What is that word? Know me by now. Know, if you don't know me by now. <laughs> Sorry about that, that, everybody. Everybody. <laughs> But yeah, that, so you'd be listening to that as you're going to the theater in a very uncrowded theater because this film did not do good at the box office, which is a crime. But it's one of my personal favorite movies of all time. And it's the Weird Al Yankovic classic, UHF. Uh, I can't, I, I, I've loved this movie since I first saw it. I didn't see this in the theater. I'm one of the ones that didn't see it because uh, I had to wait to rent it. The video store got one copy, the local video store, because we didn't have a blockbuster until years and years later, until the, into the 90s, in my neck of the woods. So they had like one copy, and it was hardly ever rented, which was great for me, because I was the one that rented it all the damn time. But uh, UHF, Weird Al, it's just, uh, what's this, uh, Fran Dresser's in it, Billy Barty, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the guy from the original uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is the villain, and he's menacing... He's menacingly hilarious in it. But I would also be remiss not to mention Michael Richards as Stanley Spadowski, the heart and soul of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why when I started watching Seinfeld, I was like, oh, it's Stanley Spadowski. <laughs> and, you know, of course, everybody knows, remembers Michael Richards as Kramer and as a, uh, you know, his little issue that he had. <laughs> right. Which we won't mention any further than that. But to me, he's like, when I still see him, I still, my mind still jumps to Stanley Spadowski. Whenever I see a mop, my daughter has a... Uh, Melissa and Doug play set where it's got like a, a broom, a mop, and a dustpan and a duster, blah, blah, blah. But every time she has the mop, I, I go straight to Stanley Spadowski <laughs> and start quoting UHF. But yeah, UHF, great movie, underrated. You know, if, if you don't like Weird Al, you're not going to like this movie. But if you like parody, I, I take that back. I mean, I think this movie has genuine, great performances, comedic performances. I mean, it's not going to win any Oscars. But as far as a comedy goes, oh, and it's and it's got Victoria Jackson from SNL. Uh, I had a crush on for a while there in the eighties. <laughs> Not her that voice. Lovely voice. <laughs> yeah, aside from, very very pretty, but just that voice always. You know, that's part of her, that was part of her charm though was her voice. Well, Fran you know, she was, was the, she's the blonde too. Fran Drescher. Yeah, who was you know, also <laughs> <in there>. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> and then you got you know she's the brunette, and then. Victoria Jackson's the you know, two sides of the yin and yang of nasally mm. actresses in the same movie. Imagine being in a room uh, with them. <laughs> uh, I give myself about 30 minutes. And then <laughs> myself, yeah. not them. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, UHF, uh, we covered on the podcast. I think it's one of the most underrated and underappreciated, even as even though it is a cult, you know, considered a cult movie for sure. I'd still say it's 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 not as appreciated still as I think it should be because I mean Weird Al is a goddamn national treasure. Uh, 
the man has done no wrong as far as I'm concerned. So obviously I'm biased, but nevertheless, UHF as a kid loved it. You know, it's, it's basically an hour and 20 minutes of Weird Al's music videos. But instead of parroting music videos, which you do get a music video parody in it, but he's also parroting movies and everything else. The Rambo part as a kid was always my favorite. Conan, the librarian. It's just mm. great stuff. Uh, and so, obviously, if you're listening to this, I'm pretty sure you've probably seen it. But if you haven't, what the fuck is wrong with you? Go get vaccinated. Go watch UHF. Uh, little PSA there for everybody. <laughs> anyway, halfway there. We're halfway there. Uh, numero five, February 17th, fresh off of Valentine's Day. Maybe you went and saw it for Valentine's Day. This is a film I saw twice. Actually, you know, there are two movies. 1989 is the first year I ever saw a movie twice in the theater. And it happened twice. And this was one of them. Uh, so February 17th, it's still, oh, our girl is, for, uh, she truly is forever our girl because <laughs> on February 17th, you'd be rocking to the theater listening to my favorite Paul Abdul song. Straight up now, tell me, do you really want to watch Bill and Ted? Yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. You get the picture. I'm not going to continue that because <laughs> that was enough. But Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. And uh, Paul Abdul was number one on the radio that week. Rightfully so for straight up. Love this video. Love the song. But uh, this isn't music revisited yeah. yet. Yeah. So, uh, But anyway, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Still the best in the trilogy, even though Bogus Journey, like now, like as a kid, Bogus Journey was clearly not the better one. But now, it's like, to me, as an adult, Bogus Journey is like right under Excellent Adventure. You know, Excellent Adventure to me is like, you know, I don't know what I gave it on the podcast, but let's just say it's a 9.5. Bogus Journey is like a 9. And the new one is like an 8. Uh, but up. the new one's heavily geared with nostalgia. Oh, what was that, Jesse? Oh, I just said straight up. <laughs> <laughs> Truer words have rarely been spoken. But yeah, Bill and Ted, if you don't know, if you haven't seen Bill and Ted, why the fuck are you even listening to this podcast? <laughs> to be honest, these, these top five movies are iconic. I mean, all of these I would consider iconic, but these top five especially are like big, big, relevant movies still to this day. That of, some of them are franchises that are still being made to this day, which Bill and Ted was made last year, or came out last year, I think. Uh, say, face the Music, whatever it was. So we finally got the conclusion to that trilogy. And speaking of trilogies, there's two more entries in trilogies coming up, so there's a spoiler. But yeah, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, so crates, you know, Joan yeah. of Arc being <laughs> Noah's wife. You know, just, Bill, you know, aside from some of the uh, language that Matt Damon is in hot water for using in front of his daughter to date this podcast uh, being said uh, in the movie, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's a time capsule of things that were had been have been said recently uh, or back, you know, were a little more a little more commonplace back then, obviously, and not appropriate today in that context. But nevertheless, Bill and Ted still I mean, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. They proved it in the new one. I mean, they have such good chemistry. You can tell they're friends. Like, it's not just, they're not just like, Bill, Ted, what's up? Uh, you can, I, I, I can just, you can tell from their performance that they had, they got along. And that, uh, you know, not that I've ever heard anybody not getting along with Keanu Reeves unless you kill his dog. Uh, you know, but, and then all the uh, the historical figures, you know, Jane Wyland from the Go-Go's is Joan of Arc. Uh, I forget the cast, you know, the different actors, but a lot of character actors were in that play in the different historical figures. Uh, Al, uh, Al, oh God, Al Young, uh, God, can't remember his name. The main henchman for every movie is Genghis Khan. Yeah, you said it. In it, uh, Al Young, that's yeah. it. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> he's in it. He's uh, uh, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan, I think, is the correct pronunciation, as I've been correct or seen in documentaries lately. Uh, so whatever, you know, Genghis, Genghis, whatever you want to call him, we know who you're talking about. But yeah, sure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure 
is still what is that Jesse? oh uh jiff gif <laughs> oh yeah tomato tomato potato potato all those words that you know you don't have to correct people i know what you're talking about i know what you said i don't need to correct you so don't correct me either give me that courtesy but there are some people out there that just want to correct uh not that you're wrong because you're correcting something <laughs> but you know you know you lay off the correct you know some of the little stuff when you know you know what they're talking about. That's just my personal. That's you know that goes for relationships. If you're having a debate with somebody and you got to prove them wrong because you know in, a, in an argument you don't have to prove somebody you don't have to prove yourself right. You just got to prove somebody wrong. Absolutely, if you're having an argument of discourse with your spouse, here's a little tip: just let it go. <laughs> I deal with this on a daily basis. Just let it go. Love you, Autumn. Wink, wink. But uh, <laughs> that was number five. So top four, and the only animated film on this list. Uh, but it would have been November seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine. And we rocking out to bad English. When I see you smile, which is wholeheartedly a monster ballad. God, look at that hair! <laughs> Jesus Christ! It looks like he took Tony Katan's hair and put it on his head. <laughs> Boys with long hair should not have bangs. <laughs> it that it doesn't work. Don't. Uh, Bill had uh, bangs. <laughs> well, I guess I should let me step that back. Those kind of bangs that the dude from Bad English has. Okay. You know, like the, the uh, I mean, that is a woman's haircut. Like girls at the mall bangs. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the, the, the front hairline is all, everything is long except the front bangs and it's covering your forehead. It's almost like a, it's like a mullet, but in reverse. It's short, it's party in the front. I mean, uh, wait, no. Actually, hold on. Let me, let me, let me get my, actually, it is, it's a mullet to where it goes all the way up to the front of your hair. <laughs> To your, to your, you know, basically a centimeter from your hairline, and all that's long. But that one centimeter of hair on your forehead is two inches, and it's combed down on your forehead to hide your forehead. Maybe it's a five head. Maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. I'm not going to judge because my hairline right now is nothing to laugh at. So let's just move on. But anyway, you'd be going to the theater to see, to make a beautiful, animated, prepubescent teenager part of your world. The Little Mermaid, the beginning of the Disney animated renaissance, uh, is my number four favorite film. That was Little Mermaid, as, as a kid, you know, as a nine-year-old, totally infatuated with it. You're like, oh, God, Ariel's so pretty. She sings so good. Oh, you know, not, you know, being a nine-year-old, I had no clue how old she was. So it's creepy when I talk about it today, but I'm talking about it in context of the 80s. As a nine-year-old, I had a crush on Ariel. So, but Little Mermaid is still one of my fav- personal favorite Disney movies. Uh, had the clamshell case with the penis on the cover, which no matter what anybody tries to tell you, that is a penis on the cover of that movie. That is blatantly a dick that looks like a spire. I don't believe it's an accident because everybody knows what a fucking dick looks like. But anyway, the movie, it's still, uh, actually, uh, I don't know if we talked about this before on the podcast, but, you know, kids these days, and I'm not trying to sound like an old man yelling at clouds, but, uh, you know, this kid, like, because I'm, I'm using my child as, an ex, as my, the only example I have to draw from. You know, she's, Violet's three years old, and, you know, she loves YouTube. Last week it was um, Peppa Pig. This week it's Gecko's Garage. She watches all these English shows. So she keeps pronouncing things with an English accent <laughs> or the English pronunciation. She's like, I want to watch Garage. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Hmm. Gecko's Garage. I'm like, Garage? She's like, Garage. No, it's Garage. She has a bad habit of correcting me like her mom does. Uh, <laughs> just teasing. But, uh, you know, so kids these days, are, uh, you know, in my experience, the attention span is so fucking short. 
When I was two and three years old, her age, I was watching E.T. repeatedly from start to finish. I was watching Return of the Jedi, well, when I was three, because it came out in well, later than that, because it wasn't on VHS till later. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, you know, two-hour movie in total. Kids these days don't watch movies, you know, at least at that age. The, the attention span is so short, in my experience. Um, but the first Disney movie she, she managed to get all the way through was The Little Mermaid. And we're watching it together, you know, and it gets to the end, and I'll be goddamned if King Triton doesn't say the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard in a movie as a dad, as a father of a girl, after they get married. You know, I think he's talking to Sebastian. He's like, there's only one thing left to do. And then he's like, what is that? Then he's like, uh, or he says something. He's like, "How? there's only one problem left. And he's like, what's that? You know, Sebastian talking to King Triton, how much I'm going to miss her. And I'm just like biting my bottom lip, trying not to cry. <laughs> just, you know, knowing that in a day in the future, my daughter will most likely get married to somebody. And I'll think about them, this movie and I'll become a blubbering idiot <laughs> at her wedding. But yeah, Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid number four. I mean, the Disney Renaissance is, a, I mean, that's, that's by far and away their best work. Little Mermaid, Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think it might have been the last one, or Tarzan. Uh, to me, that is truly like the, the best Dis animated Disney movies started with The Little Mermaid into the 90s. Uh, no questions there. And to me, Little Mermaid is still absolutely near the top of that list in terms of Disney movies, period, for, you know, not just because it's nostalgic for me, but it's a good movie. The Every song in it is memorable and fantastic. I think that's the big difference between a lot of the older uh, Disney movies is that, you know, Oh, Mary Poppins has supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and a spoonful of sugar, and that's all. Uh, the, that's the only songs I remember. That's live action, but, you know, Snow White has one, I think, you know, but nowhere near the quality of music that you see in Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Lion King, et cetera, et cetera. So mm -hmm. enough of my blubberingness. <laughs> Get what I see? Blubber, whales, uh... ocean, mermaid. Uh, it's a stretch. Sorry. Mm. Top three, motherfuckers. So my top three films of 1989. First one came out on November 22nd, just a week after, less than a week after The Little Mermaid, and it was still bad English, tearing <laughs> up the charts. And it was Back to the Future, Dose. Uh, you know, as time goes by, I, the first one's still my favorite. But as a kid, I love the second one. I love because because they went to the fu the future future. Yeah, as a kid, uh, that's know. true. But as an adult, it went to third place for me. Oh, really? Yeah, it's yeah. like three better. Obviously, I like yeah, yeah, one, three, two. Mm -hmm. I thought I need to rewatch them in order to kind of like see where I exactly I stand now. But I mean, that seems pretty right to me because I, I three three is is. I, on, I, you know, I think I would agree with that, saying that's mine, too, because as a kid, I love, too, because of the future side of it. And all, like, you know, the instant pizza and, you know, the flying cars and all that stuff. And the dark future, you know, it's very Empire Strikes Back, because you got the dark future yeah. of Biff being governor or president or whatever he was, you know. Uh, Lorraine's drugged out and his sex slave and all this Just a stuff. casino owner, was, as far as I know. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. That's, I know it was something. It was something. won a big. lot of I, things. I and so we had Biff's casino. Oh, I've... That's something I could watch yeah. over and over again since they're on a lot of streaming services. Oh, absolutely. I mean, thank God there's not a... I mean, I wish they would have done a part four, honestly, you know, but you can't do it now. Now it is impossible to make a sequel. They kind of did uh, in video oh, well, game forms. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, uh, so Bob Gale 
participated in that, and uh, mm -hmm. you know the voices were there and everything. Yeah, so t I mean, technically there is a four, you know, which is totally fine. But film-wise, obviously, uh, you know, the time is pat <laughs> out of time for a part four. But personally, like we've talked before, I think trilogies are the ways to keep it, and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, I will reinforce this with the next two as well uh, in terms of series. Uh, we'll get that in a second. But yeah, Back to the Future 2, November 22nd, my third favorite film, 1989. But yeah, uh, getting back to what you're saying, you know, number one, I think it's still just, it's so good. And in fact, uh, on Netflix, they have that series, The Movies That Made Us, they have a new season, and Back to the Future is one of the movies on there. So, of course, we covered it on the podcast a long time ago that we did the entire trilogy, even though part three came out in 90, I think, 90, 91, whatever. 91. Um, but yeah, yeah that's, uh, but you know, it's on, I mean, it's an 80s series that finished right there in the beginning, so it passed, uh, which I've justified that before yeah. but uh, yeah, anyway i think i think you're i think you're definitely right though jesse i think three is because i mean just that the ending of three is the, the, they tie up this series with such a beautiful bow at the end mm -hmm. you know when the, the time machine gets crushed by the train and then doc comes back in the in the time train basically <laughs> you know and uh hands in the picture it's, it's just so it's such this series ended perfectly it's you know beginning middle end and it's perfect you know, honestly, if you were going to continue this series, the best way to do it would be the adventures of Doc Brown, you know, get Christopher Lloyd and Mary Steenburgen on the time train and have them pop up in history. If, if, if you were going to try to do something, you know, but Marty's story is done. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, you know, in terms of in terms of the movie, like there's no need to revisit necessarily. You know, I would love to. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's so good. It's so solid. Just leave it alone. But uh, numero two, top two, going back to June here, June 23rd, 1989, and it was, we'd be rocking out to the sounds of NKOTB with, wait. New Kids on right? the Block, yeah. Oh, yeah. They just call wait, them. what's song? I'll Be Loving You Forever? Yeah, yeah. I don't even quoted the wrong one. I don't even remember this one either. Well, it's a ballad. Jesse quoted Hanging Tough, so I was getting ready to rock out, because <laughs> yeah. Hanging Tough nope. is the best New Kids on the Block song. Hey, tough. But it, yeah. it wasn't that. It was... Uh, this is some I'll ballad be... version that probably no one ever heard after this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be loving you. So yeah, that you'd be listening to that, but you'd be going to the theater. And I was... I would... I would honest... I think I could say this with incredible certainty. I was the... My, me, my mom, and my brother were the first people in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in line to see this movie, Batman, which we mentioned earlier. Yep, my number two... But you'll see why when I tell you the number one. Uh, but yeah, Batman, June 23rd, 1989, a day long remembered. I remember we were in line in Louisiana. It was in, uh, what was it called? Bon Marche, Cinema yeah. 11 or something. It was the one that's now the Cox Building mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in Baton Rouge for you, Baton Rougeites. And they had all the windows. You know, they had four box offices. And we're in line behind, we just stood in line behind one because there was none of them open. And then I remember this, me being a nine-year-old kid and so excited to see Batman. One of the blinds jerked up because they were opening all of them. And I ran over there and like threw my hands on the counter like, Mom, over here, over here, <laughs> in front of this huge line of people because I was so excited to see Batman. Little nine-year-old dork. Uh, <laughs> dork. Doing that. But nevertheless, Bat I mean, Michael Keaton's Batman, Jack Nicholson's Joker, I fucking conic. Batman 89 is still one of the absolute best superhero films ever made and arguably the best in the Batman franchise. 
you know, I top of my head, you know, I mean, Nolan's trilogy is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But there's just something about Tim Burton's Batman that still to this day is so amazing, so unique for its time. I mean, we, you know, because a year after this, we had Ninja Turtles. I think, I think it was 90 or 91, you know, very shortly after, you know, this kicked the door down for superhero movies into the 90s, which a couple of hits, a lot of fucking misses. Mm. I'm looking at you, Shaq. <laughs> but uh, Ninja Turtles, you know, because th- this, th- this, th- you know, and, and uh, it's, it's almost like, in, not infuriating, but it's like, uh, you know, back, we had 1989 superhero movie for kids, and it is dark as fuck. Mm-hmm. It, I mean... It is a dark movie, which, you know, 80s were like that. You know, E.T. had its dark moments. Neverending Story has some very dark moments. Uh, Willow has some dark moments. All these, like, movies we grew up on were dark, uh, which I think is very lacking in a lot of movies today in terms of how how much there, how many movies there are. Like, you don't, you know, no Marvel movies are dark. When they are, they're some of the best ones. Winter Soldier, you know, there's some dark themes in there. Civil War had some you know dark themes in there uh and those are the ones that work best i mean you know uh thor ragnarok complete opposite example uh i've talked about on the podcast before like the first time i saw it i hated it i didn't i was like this is what the like his entire world is destroyed and he's cracking jokes because i went into it thinking it was gonna be a dark action-packed movie it wasn't that my expectations were completely wrong that's on me watching it multiple times afterwards i love it now because I know what it is, uh, and, I, and you know, that's 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 nobody's fault but my own. Uh, you know, putting false, uh, having false expectations for a movie. But again, that also works to the advantage of some movies, like the Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows sequel. Like, oh, the first one. You know, it was, I didn't think it was as bad as people, you know, made it out to be. It wasn't my tur- You know, the key turtles. You know, from the '90s movies. Uh, but going in, having no expectations, turned out loving it. The sequel, thought it was fantastic. Got to, finally got to see Rocksteady and Bebop on the screen, even though it wasn't, you know, it was CG and not practical. But nevertheless, yeah. Batman 1989. I was going to say, I usually mm-hmm. like any movie with Sam Rockwell in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I'll get to that in a second. We get uh, out of the top ten into the other uh, stuff for the year. But uh, this was actually the first... It was the first time we ever saw Sam Rockwell in a movie was 1989, uh, which, of course, he was, I think he has, what, two lines in the Ninja Turtles movie, which you're referencing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, not, Batman 89 still, like, honestly, like, I'm, just, I'm really trying to think of ways that it's not better than the Nolan ones. Uh, off the top of my head, you know, everybody loves The Dark Knight. Yeah, it's great. But top of my head, I'd say Batman 89, Batman Returns, Dark Knight, Batman Begins, and number five will be, uh, I don't know. The new one. I don't. I can't even say. Uh, and again, that's just top of my head without really thinking. But I, I, I grew up on the Burton Batman's. They're nostalgic. Every time I, I'm always down to watch them. Of course, the first one, the second one, you got Michelle Pfeiffer in tight latex. Jesus Christ. Uh, Danny DeVito's Penguin is incredible. And then after that, you know, I was, I was speaking of trilogies, you have the Back to the Future trilogy. Hold on a second. <laughs> Covido. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Back to the Future trilogy is just a trilogy. You know, it exists in other mediums, comic books, video games, etc., which is fine. Batman, you had Batman 1, Batman Returns, Batman Forever. It was a trilogy for a while. You know, Forever is definitely the third best one. And then it went straight downhill with Batman and Robin. 
and until we finally got it rebooted with Nolan's trilogy. You know, he did a trilogy. It's great. Okay, we did a trilogy. Let's stop, reassess, get Batfleck, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when I look at the Batman trilogy, Nolan's trilogy as a whole is better because it's cohesive. But the original two Batman film, Burton's Batman films are still my favorite. I love the look. To me, that defined the cinematic Batman. Uh, the cinematography, the design, everything in those two films is amazing. And it still holds up. Still great. You know, everybody still acknowledges that Michael Keaton's still the best Batman. You know, polls that come out, people still pretty much, that's pretty much where it falls. Who's the best Batman? Michael Keaton is still generally number one. Rightfully so because of this film. And Jack Nicholson's Joker, you know, everybody, you know, Heath Ledger did a great job. You cannot understate how great that performance is. But just because that performance was so great, you can't take away from Nicholson's Joker. Terrifying. You know, because uh, he looks like a clown. And they play on it in the movie where he's acting like a mime and then he straight up throws the thing in the dude's neck and kills him. You know, he's... T- Nicholson is terrifying as the Joker. It's fucking Jack Torrance as the Joker. It's horrifying. He's, you know, you don't know if he's serious or joking. And that's, you know, same thing with Heath Ledger's, but in such a... a further an insanity way a genius a criminal genius way to where they're so they're almost different characters which is what i love about it but you know never discount jack nicholson's joker because it's fucking incredible uh to this day and let's get this let's uh get this on to move to some other topics that we talk about on these number one my favorite film period and it, it was it was tough picking it. I'm not gonna lie. These top three, well, top two, I should say. I was like, ah, like seriously, which one can I honestly say that I like more? Very tough. But it came out May 24th, 1989. We still be rocking to Paul Abdul with Forever Your Girl again. Heading to the theater, which uh, I mentioned, I saw Bill and Ted twice in the theater. And this is the other movie I seen twice in the, or one of the first movies I remember seeing twice in the theater. And it was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the... Ha ha, just fucking kidding. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, as a kid, I absolutely love this movie. I, I watched it more... I've seen Last Crusade more than any of the other Indiana Jones films. Since uh, Same thing with Back to the Future. There was a, a long, long time where this was my absolute favorite one. And I, you know what? Take it back. It's still my favorite Indiana Jones film. It's my favorite. It's not the best one. The best one to me is still Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh... And, to, and all, you know, in the trilogy meter, because again, even though they're filming another one of these, mm-hmm. which, you know, th- if, if they can redeem, they can, re- this is the only, they can redeem it with this one. This is the only, we're not, we're probably not going to get another one because Harrison Ford is old as fuck and he already got it hurt filming this new one. Uh, you know, not saying that old people can't act in movies, but I mean, for this role, you gotta, you know, age is going to factor into what he can do. Um, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is absolute shite. There's, I can't, there, I'm sitting there watching it. It was one of the worst theater-going experiences of my life. I saw it in Jacksonville with our good friend Perry. The day before he deployed, I felt bad for him. The last <laughs> experience he had with his, at that time, wife and his friend before he deployed for like a year to go overseas was sitting in a theater where the air conditioner wasn't working at midnight to watch Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Not knowing that it was going to be absolute shit. Mm. Mm. Oh, Excuse wow. me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I just remember I'm sitting there watching it, you know, trying. I was trying to like, okay, this isn't that bad. Oh God, this isn't that bad. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. It's terrible. Like, if you listen to this podcast, I, there are bad movies that are fun. There are bad movies that are so bad they're good. Hard Ticket to Hawaii, Deadly Prey. Some might even say UHF is one of those, even, you know. Uh, that's so bad it's good to some people. But Kingdom of the... I've, I saw it in the theater. I have never watched that movie again. Never. <laughs> ever, ever. I don't know. Obviously, I probably will at some point in my life when my daughter's watching it or what she wants to... That, oh, I, I want to watch this. Okay, this one's not good. I, I'm going to have to go into it like, okay, look. Your daddy has never watched this since he saw it in the theater because I don't like it. So don't... You know, if you like it, that's fine. But just be prepared that it's nowhere near... It's not even the same fucking sport as the original trilogy. Hmm. And you had Spielberg, Lucas, Harrison Ford, Kate Blanchett, and they fucked it up. South Park did it perfect, where they showed... <laughs> they kept showing Spielberg and Lucas, like, raping Indiana Jones. <laughs> That's exactly what that what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is. It is an abortion of a movie. It is terrible. Especially... And I'll, I'll be honest. It's a hard act to follow, following any of the original three. But especially Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. By the way, R.I.P. Sean Connery a few months ago. Uh, but, you know, speaking of, you know, getting on, staying on topic for praising Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, it's everything that you love about the Indiana Jones series, and you throw in Sean Connery as his dad. And you, if, if you want to look at, like, some of the best examples of on-screen chemistry, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, it is a guy else together. Because their chemistry is undeniable. They are so good together in this movie. It makes the movie, it's the heart, you know, the whole, you know, Junior, call me Junior. And their whole relationship with, you know, the Grail being the metaphor in the film for, and all that stuff is so good. So good. You know, Raiders, Raiders and Temple of Doom, you know, Indy's a good guy. He's saving the kids in Temple of Doom and he's, you know, stopping the Nazis. Last Crusade has that personal part of the story of the character with his dad where he's, you know, he thinks he lo he loses his dad at some point. You know, you have that drama. And then his dad thinks that Indy dies when he takes the tank off the cliff. And it's like, you know, just those moments of emotion in this series are so genuine and so real, you know, and you know, it's a Indiana Jones Back to the Future, OG Star Wars trilogy, Lord of the Rings trilogy. These are perfect trilogies. There is not a weak link in them. Now, beyond when you move out beyond the trilogies, you know, any, uh, you know, Hobbit trilogy, same universe, but it's still, you know, sort of like sequels, prequels to Lord of the Rings, or wait, yeah, prequel. Garbage. Hate the I hate the Hobbit movies, personally. Gorgeous, well done, well made, but you know, three hours, you know, a nine-hour epic for a 200-page book doesn't fucking work. 7.8. It should have been. Yeah. I think that people just riding that Lord of the Rings. When I'm, I'm watching The Hobbit and they get to the dish washing scene in the first movie, I'm just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what, like, you know, kind of like we we're talking about earlier with Batman being like dark. Lord of the Rings, you know, it's so, it's so well done. Hobbiton in the beginning, it's so peaceful. It's like, God, I could go there and just relax and do nothing. And then you, then it shows you how dark the world is, mm -hmm. you know. And it's, 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 it's so true in reality. Like, you know, your, your circle of life, you know, your home is your place. It's, you know, it's, it's where you live. It's, you love it. It's your peaceful place. Ah, you're talk, You're criticizing wizards for being late. But then you step out of your home into the real world. It is dark. It is evil. It is unforgiving. It's the law of the fucking jungle. And that's what Lord of the Rings is. 
you know, you get out of your home, you see how dark the world is. And that's when you realize like, shit, I have to fight to keep what I have there. I have to combat this. I have to combat the lunacy and stupid, con I'm going on a soapbox, watch out, mm -hmm. conspiracy theories about public health issues that are about saving lives and not doing what you need to do to do it because of stupid, far direction rhetoric that you can't get out of your head that you just repeat like a stupid fucking talking head instead of doing the right fucking thing for your community. End of rant. Back to the topic. Indiana Jones and Last Crusade ends the trilogy perfectly. As I mentioned, Back to the Future 3 did for it. This third entry in the, in the in a series, biggest, beautifulest bow you could put on it. How does it end? What is the best ending you could think of for Indiana Jones? Him and his friends ride off into the fucking sunset, and that is literally exactly the last time we see him until the abortion of a movie that was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and whatever this new one's going to be. Now, do I have expectations for this new one? Absolutely not. So I'll probably end up liking it a lot more. I mean, honestly, I can't imagine what they can do worse <laughs> than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So already this movie has that going for it. That's following up one of the worst sequels ever made. I mean, I'm talking Halloween resurrection level bad. Is King, that's how bad Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is. Uh, 6.1 anyway. on IMDb for that one. <laughs> what is it? 6.1. That's still, that is unfair. Yeah. That is a no. That's just because of the, of the people involved. That's a, you want a conspiracy theory? You know, far-right anti-vaxxers, there's your conspiracy theory. Why is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull not a fucking three or lower <laughs> on IMDb? Because is, there is no way it's a good movie. Uh-uh. Let's see. Females under 18 Here's rated like, at the lowest at 5.9. <laughs> wow. It, it, it's lower than that. Like, and I give, like I said, I give bad movies a chance. There are bad street, John Claude Van Damme Street Fighter is one of the worst movies ever made. But at the same time, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Because of, it transcends the badness. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it relies on the names on the marquee and the poster for you to forgive it for all of its horrible, horrible thoughts. But enough, oh, I ended up talking more about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull than Last Crusade. All right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's it. My favorite movie, of, if I had to pick my favorite film of 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, barely nudging out Batman. Like I said, very hard for me. But, you know, if I had a choice as to which one I'd want to watch, you know, if any of them, if I'm filming channels and either of them are on, I'll watch either of them. But if I had to pick which one to watch right now, every time, most of the time, I should say, it would be Indiana Jones and Last Crusade because it's... It's just so much fun. It's good. It's got heart. It has everything you want in a movie. Everything that the Jungle Cruise wished it fucking had, because that movie fucking sucked. So more on that in the Back to the Future second segment. That's your, that's your, that's your teaser for that. Oh, we're running long already. But anyway, honorable mentions. Uh, and these are just some films that we covered on the podcast that I enjoy. That also came out in 1989, the last year of the decade that we celebrate here on the podcast. But honorable mentions, uh, just going to run through them. The Fly 2, The Burbs, another Tom Hanks classic, which we haven't done yet, but it's coming. Leviathan, Cyborg, Major League, Field of Dreams, Pet Cemetery, Roadhouse, No Holds Barred, The Wizard, Vampire's Kiss, Star Trek Five, Ghostbusters 2, Look Who's Talking, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Weekend at Bernie's, License to Kill, Troop Beverly Hills, Lethal Weapon 2, Friday the 13th, 8, Night Run Elm Street 5, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, Uncle Buck, Communion, Still Magnolia's Glory, All Dogs Go to Heaven, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and the last film ever released in the 80s, Tango and Cash. Mm. So there you go. There's your honorable mentions. Uh, worst films, speaking of trilogies that eventually became quadrilogies uh my pick for the worst film of 1989 is karate kid part three 
because I love the first Karate Kid. I love the second Karate Kid, but the Karate Kid Part 3 is garbage. In fact, I've seen one and two dozens of times, honestly, like legit seen them multiple times. Part 3, saw it once, never watched it again. Same thing with the next Karate Kid, didn't care for it. They're only worth watching once for Pat Morita. God rest his soul. Uh, other uh, films I would say were some of the worst of 1989, K-9. Anytime uh, James Belusi, I'm sorry, yeah, James Belusi pops up in a movie, it's garbage. Just rides the coattail with his big brother Jim. Can't stand him. Uh, and then the adventures of Milo and Otis because they killed a whole bunch of fucking animals to make that movie. I mean, so, John. yeah, it sucks. <laughs> uh, but, you know, enough of my opinion. Let's see what the Academy had to say about the films released in 1989. Uh, Best Picture went to Driving Miss Daisy. Best Director went to Oliver Stone for Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, Best Actor, Daniel Day-Lewis for My Left Foot. Best Actress, last uh, episode talking about Cocoon, Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy. Best Supporting Actor, Denzel for Glory. Now, when I was reading this, I was like, well, wait, Morgan Freeman was in Driving Miss Daisy as supporting actor and Glory as well with Denzel. And he was fantastic in both of them, as always. Uh, but he was nominated for Best Actor, which was a losing battle with Daniel Lewis for My Left Foot. I mean, that's one of, honestly, one of the most influences uh, of the decade. And, you know, one of, you know, Daniel Lewis, many people consider him to be the greatest actor of all time. I think he's won three Best Actor Oscars, which is more than anybody by one. I believe, but uh, you know, My Left Foot was a huge film when it came out because of his performance uh, and everything. So well deserved, you know. Morgan Freeman was nominated not for Glory, but Best Actor for um, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Best Supporting Actress was Brenda Fricker for My Left Foot. Best Original Song, no surprise, Under the Sea for The Little Mermaid. Best Makeup, which I don't agree with, but it went to Manilo Rachetti et al. I used et al because there's like five other people and I didn't feel like typing them. For Driving Miss Daisy, for old age makeup, I'm assuming, uh, I think it unfairly beat the, uh, oh shit, what's his name? God damn it. Terry Gilliam uh, directed Baron, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which had amazing, amazing makeup effects. Uh, however, it, it was also Baron Munchausen, it had a chance for best visual effects. It was nominated along with Back to the Future Part Two, but it lost the Oscar of best visual effects. Honestly, rightfully so. I think the right one won here. And the aforementioned my number, uh, what number was it? Number eight, the Abyss one for best visual effects. Rightfully so. Those water effects at the time were incredibly groundbreaking among some of the other effects in the film. So well-deserved for the Abyss. Uh, that was the best. Now let's talk about the worst. The Razzies, the 10th annual Razzie Awards. Worst picture went to Star Trek V, which uh, for them it beat Roadhouse and Karate Kid 3. Obviously, I would give it to Karate Kid 3 by far. Uh, Star Trek V gets a lot of hate. Uh... You know, I'm not, I like Star Trek, you know, Next Generation's my jam. Like if I had to watch Star, somebody said, okay, you have to watch a Star Trek movie. I'd watch one of the Next Generation ones, most likely First Contact uh, by far. Uh, but I, I honestly like Star Trek V. I, and again, I'm a philosophy major. <laughs> it's one of my majors for college. So I'm a little partial to, to movies where, you know, Star Trek's always got that, you know, some degree of a philosophical or hum, human story to it. And they go searching for God, you know, so it's a... Is it well done? I mean, I, I understand why people don't like it. And uh, William Shatner also won the Razzie for Worst Actor for it and Worst Director. So he got three <laughs> Razzies this year. Good job. Excuse <laughs> me, but honestly, you know, I, you know, a lot of people praise part four where they have to get the whales. I, real, I, I saw part four in the theater and I, 
I just never liked, never, never liked part four. I need to revisit it, you know, probably revisit it for the podcast eventually. We'll do a Star Trek month or something. Because I don't think we've done any of them except part three, maybe on the podcast. Or two, maybe two and three. Uh, we haven't done four and five, which uh, personally, I, d I don't, didn't care for four. That's where they come to Earth. Or modern times, I should say. And I, I hate that trope whenever they use it in any movie. Didn't like it in Star Trek. Didn't like it in Beastmaster 2. Didn't like it in Masters of the Universe. It's just, I can't, don't take somebody from a futuristic or fantasy setting and bring them to modern times. It's overused. It's cheap. Which is pretty much why they end up doing it is because it's fucking cheap. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I don't I don't see the hate for Star Trek Five personally. I like it, but we'll get more on that when we cover it on the podcast. Uh, uh, like I said, William Shatner swept the Razzies, obviously, except not for worst actress. That would go to Heather Locklear for the Return of Swamp Thing, which I should have put in my honorable mentions because I actually really enjoy Return of Swamp Thing. Uh, highest grossing films, almost actually the top three match my top three. This is worldwide gross. Domestically, the, they're just the same movies are pretty much on there, but I went with worldwide because that's you know usually what you go by for these things. Highest grossing film of 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 474 million. These are not adjusted for inflation. Uh, number two, Batman at 411. Back to the Future, 331. And then rounding out the top 10, you got Look Who's Talking, Dead Poet Society, Lethal Weapon 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters 2, Little Mermaid, and rounding it out, Born on the 4th of July. Mm. So that kind of does it for the movies of the year, but we do always like to talk about the, the music too, uh, as we do when we see what was popular on the radio at the time of these and to actually lengthen the episode, which we really had no problem doing this time, uh, <laughs> thanks to my uh, bloviating. Uh, but at the Grammys that year, Record of the Year went to Win Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. Album of the Year went to Bonnie Raitt for Nick of Time. And Song of the Year was Win Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler, pretty much her biggest hit ever. Uh, the biggest singles of the year, number one, Madonna, Like a Prayer, my favorite Madonna song. Number two, Bangles, uh, The Bangles with Eternal Flame. I don't remember that song at all. If I think of The Bangles, I think of Walking Like an Egyptian. Mm. Uh, number three, Phil Collins, Another Day in Paradise. I think that's a mediocre Phil Collins song based on his uh, other hits. Roxette, The Look, great Roxette song. Not my favorite. I'd give that to uh, Listen to Your Heart. Uh, and number five, B-52's Love Shack rounded out the top five singles of 1989. And we'll end this episode, or at least end... The core of the episode, talking like Casey Kasem, Tracy Tracem, signing off for 1989. So there you go. That's eight, 1989 in film and music for the most part as we cover. So we finally finished. Oh, oh, oh one quick thing uh, with the Grammys. Special note, uh, best spoken word or non-musical recording went to Gilda Radner or It's Always Something. And that was awarded posthumously because, of mm -hmm. course, she passed away from, from cancer, unfortunately. And there's a great documentary that I saw recently about her that was... Uh, Really great. Talks about her whole life. Uh, very beautiful, comedic soul taken, you know, lost way too soon, like most of them. Yeah. Most, uh, everybody's taken too soon, you know. Mm. Blah, 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 whatever. But yeah, that kind of rounds it out. But uh, back to the future. As I said, uh, saw the Jungle Cruise. And uh, I'd rather ride the ride for two hours and ten minutes than watch the movie. I'd rather stay on the ride for two hours and however many minutes than watch the movie again. It fucking sucked. Uh, and I say that. Here's why I say that. Now, again, remember, everybody, this is just my opinion. If you like the movie, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I didn't. Uh, there's no wrong. There's, when, when saying a movie's good or bad, except in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and a few other examples, there's only one. There is, you know, there is a definitive answer, and that answer is shit. Uh, but Jungle Cruise, I can, I can, uh, kids will love it. Kids will love it. As an adult, 
all this I'm telling you right now, the beat for fucking beat, this is Pirates of the Caribbean with they just redressed it for the jungle cruise. Literally. <laughs> We're just watching I'm like, oh wait. I'm watching it and I'm predicting yeah. Not that I'm some sort of genius, but it's very predictable. Things happen. I was like, oh, what? This, I'm not going to spoil it because it's still brand new. You know, oh, this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this happened. Guess what? I bet this is going to. Sure enough, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom. I think Pirates it's spoiled literally, it, right? What's that? Pirates spoiled it. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, everything that happens in that movie, like the twist with Jack Sparrow, every single twist in Pirates of the Caribbean is in the Jungle Cruise. Now, I love The Rock. I love Emily Blunt. She was great in Quiet Place Part 2. She was great in Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, whatever the, they fi- finalized that title to be. You know, there, you have, there's a lot of talent in this movie, but there's no heart. There's, it's, you know, uh, uh, on Facebook, I posted, like, you know, I, I, I would recommend go watch The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. That is how you do a movie like this. And, or the first Pirates, to be honest. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean did it, started a franchise. They literally, you know, it's like, uh, it's that meme with like, you know, hey, can I copy your homework? Yeah, just don't copy it exactly. Mm. You know, and the, the homework that they're copying is Pirates of the Caribbean, and the one they turn in is Jungle Cruise. With different <laughs> actors and in the jungle instead of, you know, the Caribbean. <laughs> so even, even the charisma of the rock could not, you know, it, I was barely paying attention at the end of this movie. Just like, come on, I'm just thinking to myself, end... I already know where this is going. Oh, they're going to do this, and it's going to blah, blah, blah. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Oh, and then I bet this is going to happen. It sh- sh- I'm telling you, if you've, seen a, if you've seen The Mummy, if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, you are going to predict every single thing that's going to happen. You know, how, you know well, you know, the, CG, the CG is horrible in the first half of the movie. It gets better because you see where they spent the money and the time. So I'll leave that at that. Uh, they use every quote-unquote dad joke from the ride. So, oh, the backside of water, which I have never in my life thought was a funny fucking joke. But I'm sure in the theater, people probably fucking cheered because that's what they say on the goddamn ride. Bottom line, I did not like this movie. It's a waste of time. There are many better movies to see. Uh, And it's a shame. Like, again, same with the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. There is so much talent, but not where they needed it for the movie. Like... You know, it's it's jarring to have, you know, The Rock The Rock is not a bad actor. Like, you know, he's in he is, he's incredibly comedic. And he you know, in in the quote unquote moments of heart in this film, he's not bad. But it goes from I'm completely wisecracking making fun of you to I kind of like you. it's so it's night and day the tone of the film, and that's what really threw me off is like, "Oh, they're funny." They don't like each other. Oh, all of a sudden he sings this. He says this one line in a song on his guitar, and all of a sudden she repeats it and is madly in love with him. Fucking stupid. Fucking dumb. So, yeah, but you know what? I'm just some random dude with a podcast. You know, I'm not the billion dollar mouse making these movies. So, but, you know, a lot of people apparently like it, which is great. Glad people loved it. But, uh, no, 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 no. You know, so bad. Jesse Plemons was terrible. Like, he's only great, but his character was so over the top and just like, oh, I, I, you know, I'll give it one thing. They kill a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> die horrible deaths in this movie, which that part's great. You know, for a kid's movie, I was kind of shocked with the violence for a kid's movie. Because uh, honestly, that's who's going to like it. Anyway, some adults are going to like it. Hey, and again, if you like it, if you're listening to this, that's fine. Our good friend, uh, Doomslayer, wink, wink. 
Uh, he knows who he is. Uh, he liked it, which is totally fine. I res- we respect every opinion here, unless you say you like Kitty with a Crystal Skull, then get the fuck out and unsubscribe. But, uh, you know, so, but for me, it, it, this movie didn't work, and I think I've explained my personal reasons. Uh, and also, there's a, there's a great documentary on 80s action films. It's called uh, In Search of the Last Action Hero, I think is what it's called. And a guy on there has a very good point about The Rock. The Rock does not have a classic movie. And what I mean by that, think about it. Arnold, name me, name me a good Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Commando, Predator, Total Recall, Terminator 1, Terminator 2, True Lies. Uh, name me a good Stallone movie. Rocky 1 through 4, Rocky Balboa, Creed, uh, R- Rambo 1, 2, Rambo, you know. He has iconic movies. There's a reason that they're action stars. The Rock is an action star. He has some good movies. But you know, you know, here's how I have to clarify this. A movie where he, a live action movie where he's headlining it. So you can't use Moana. Moana's his best movie, if you have, if you have to ask me. But he's not live, you know, it's not an action movie, it's not live action. But it's his, the be, that's the best movie he's ever been in. Second frame will be faster, which would qualify as an action movie, but most people haven't even seen that. Uh, Rundown is, is, you know, good, but he doesn't have, and it's a shame, he's wasted, and I think it, he's, he's stuck in Disneyland, literally. Uh, you know, because when he first came out, in his movies, you know, he had to run down. Then he had Tooth Fairy, Game Plan. He had like he had to uh, return to Witch Mountain. He had to do all these Disney movies, and he got out of it. Now he's back doing Disney movies. The Rock needs more hard R action movies in his repertoire. You know, he's all, he's like gone the John Cena route. He's done like maybe two R-rated movies. One he had a cameo in with the Get Shorty sequel, and I think Fa- Faster was R, and, and Faster was great. He was good in it. I was like, after Faster, I was like, yes. This is the trajectory to be the next Arnold. Arnold set him up for it in the rundown. where they're walking, He's walking in the club, and Arnold, Arnold's walking out. He's like, enjoy it. Yes, yes. The Rock is an action star. Hopefully Black Adam will change that. But he's, he's fallen too much. Uh, I'm not going to blame him. It's not his fault at all. Uh, you know, he, he single-handedly made the Fast and the Furious series watchable for people like me that didn't give a shit about it. Uh, I would never have seen the ones he, were, he was in unless he was in it. Simply because he was, I will watch anything with The Rock. But let's be honest, he does not have an iconic movie that's, that's going to be looked back as being one of the, you know, in the top 10 action movies of all time. He should. He absolutely should. Because that's how amazing he is. But he doesn't. I mean, I, I put it on, like, name one. You know, honestly, his best movie that he's headlining in, I would say would probably be Faster or The Rundown. Jumanji was great, but that's an ensemble. You know, we need The Rock as like, you know, his kid gets kidnapped. You know, basically remake Commando and put him in it. Just do something. Give the man an R-rated action movie because that's what he deserves. My opinion, if he's, I mean, hey, he's the highest paid actor in the world. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. The Rock is an amazing human being. He's a good dad. You know, I like him on Facebook, Instagram, all that shit. He is an amazing human being. But I want to see him in an R-rated movie beat the shit out of people. And not in a Fast and the Furious way, in a, you know, I want to take my fist and ram it through your goddamn stomach and break your goddamn spine kind of way. <laughs> I want to see him in an Arnold Qua- Stallone quality R-rated action movie. If they ever do another Expendables, make The Rock the villain. Have him kick all of y'all's ass. And it takes Stallone and Schwarzenegger together to beat him or something. You know, or bring Van Damme back from that when they all had to team up. <laughs> you know, something. Give the man a good fucking action movie please before it's too late 
closest thing to it is his old wrestling stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 like, still to this day, like, what's the best thing The Rock ever did? Uh, it would be The Rock and Sock Connection. That's the best thing he ever did in his life. You know, in terms of everything he's ever done. The Rock and Sock Connection was the greatest, one of the, one of the, the, the greatest. They didn't have, a, they, you know, they won the title. They didn't have a long title run, but they were one of the greatest tag teams of all time was the Rock and Sock Connection. That was, I, I, I smile just thinking about those two and how, you know, when wrestling was amazing uh, as well, which is long gone. But yeah, Jungle Cruise, thumbs, you know, out of 10, I'd give it a five. And that's simply because of the talent involved in it. And again, it's not a bad movie, but it's disappointing that it's literally a, it's, it's, it's a palette swap in Mortal Kombat of Pirates of the Caribbean. Literally watch Pirates of the Caribbean, every single beat, every single character. And honestly, even their fucking motivation is copied in this movie blatantly i'm just like this why there is no difference here etc cetera, etc cetera. enough of that so yeah let me see was there anything else i want to oh uh, i wonder i have a very erroneous email i mean a uh, correction that i need to uh say last episode when i was thanking all of our listeners who came back and everything and and uh i said uk paul it's uk pete <laughs> i apologize pete i was thinking or of, maybe uh, there is a ball of, <laughs> i'm As sure there's well. balls in the uk Paul <laughs> Sir Paul McCartney, I was thinking of the Paul. Beatles, mate. Sorry. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, Pete. I was thinking of the Beatles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he uh, he sent an email, uh, and I'll just read his chain real quick. But UK Pete said, just seen a new 80s visited in my podcast. Yay, all caps. Hope you're all well and staying safe. So good to have you back. We are, and it's good to be back. And then he, he replied, because <laughs> I guess before he listened to it, and then listen to it p.s who's uk paul <laughs> anyway <laughs> so glad you're back and healthy missed you guys so i apologize and then he says uh yeah i thank them for still listening he's like hello i'm still listening i've done a complete re-listen of all previous episodes during lockdown along with a few other podcasts kept me from going nuts take care guys so you see that people wow we're saving lives here yeah <laughs> that's what we do here on this podcast we save lives so yeah uh, ben white's some uh stuff on facebook too so I can bring that up so I can give him credit and read it. I should have had it up, but I didn't. Uh, I can't find it. But yeah, so thanks everybody for listening. If you're still listening to this episode after all the <laughs> tangents and rants and all that fun stuff that we do here on 80s Revisited, it's, it's you know, glad to do two weeks in a row. Next week, uh, no, I will say that the plan next week will be to do Short Circuit. That was actually going to be this week's episode, but I had uh, some stuff that happened late night last night personally uh with my neighbor that I had to kind of attend to to help her out so i didn't get to actually watch rewatch the movie in preparation for the podcast so next week should be uh wanted to i want to do a double gutenberg feature since we did cocoon last week so i had to do this uh top 89 real quick needed to finish this series anyway so it was a good thing but i always had it on the back burner but yeah next week Everything goes to plan. Should be covering short circuit. Johnny Five is alive. We will not disassemble. And we'll be back next week for another fantastic blast to the past with 80s Revisited. So until then, everybody, stay safe, mask up, social distance, listen to this podcast, have fun, watch movies. And until then, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga!
this show and more on facebook.com slash awesomepods and follow us on twitter at awesomepods.